Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors, up and down the value chain, are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. So before we get going, I wanted to give a little more background about the conversation you're about to hear. This December 2019, the United Nations Conference of Parties, or COP, is meeting for the 25th time. They are the supreme decision-making body for how the world will fight climate change. Since not everyone can go to the big meet, there are regional satellite events being held throughout the world. In the Nordics, that meeting is happening in Stockholm. To connect the conversations happening in Madrid to Stockholm and to you, the Nordic Food Tech Podcast and the Nordic Council of Ministers have teamed up to do a Taste the Transition podcast series. We'll be hosting a series of conversations with different actors who are taking climate action through food to transition our diets to be more healthy and sustainable. You'll notice that in each conversation, we ask the same series of questions. We invite you to answer these questions yourself on www.nordicfoodtech.io slash answer. We would love to hear your vision for the future of the food system and how you are taking climate action through food. You can also find the link in the bio for this podcast episode. We'd also love for you to join the conversation on social media. Connect with us by using the hashtag NordicClimateAction. Having science on our side can be extremely useful for understanding the complex interconnectedness of our world, especially now as we seek to take action in great uncertainty and change. In this episode, we address what we know from science when it comes to transforming the food system under climate change. My guest is Amanda Wood, who is a researcher at the Stockholm Resilience Center. Launched in 2007, the Stockholm Resilience Center's vision is to advance a world where social ecological systems are understood, governed, and managed to not only enhance human well-being, but to also enable the sustainable co-evolution of human civilizations with the biosphere. Amanda's work intersects science, policy, and practice to inform food system transformations for sustainability and health. This includes working with and informing decision-makers, organizations, and networks who can influence change. She was a co-author of the influential Eat Lancet report and subsequently wrote an analysis on how the Nordic food system would have to be transformed in order to meet the recommendations that the report outlines. A big welcome to you, Amanda. I'm very excited to have you on the show. I've been following the Stockholm Resilience Center for quite some time, and this is one of those interviews that when you're preparing, there's just so much one could talk about and so much we could look at within your research that it's it's very exciting, but it can also be a little overwhelming. So I think a good way of getting started for listeners who are not familiar with the Stockholm Resilience Center is for you to explain what it is and why it was started. So the Stockholm Resilience Center is a transdisciplinary center for sustainability science And if those are a lot of just big words, what it really means is that 
Um, we are transdisciplinary in that researchers there work beyond the academic borders, and we collaborate with policymakers, and businesses, and civil society to help produce research that is societally relevant. And then by focusing on sustainability science, uh, we get to solve some of these major challenges faced by the world today. So we do work across a range of topics and disciplines from healthy and sustainable food, where, where I focus, uh, also to things like greening of cities or financial markets. So uh, we're, we're pretty diverse, but we, we always focus on how we can improve our sustainability and resilience. Right. And what exactly is your role and how did you come to working at the Stockholm Resilience Center? So I'm a researcher there and I joined three years ago. I had the opportunity to join the Eat Lancet Commission, which was a group of over 35 scientists from around the world coming together to do a global food systems analysis. So this was my first task when joining the center. It was really to uh, pick the brains of these scientists from around the world and help put together uh, this, this report on healthy and sustainable food systems. And then when that wrapped up, my work has focused on making that global report meaningful for, for the Nordic context. So I work with lots of different stakeholders from across the food system and, and try to contextualize that global analysis and see where it could guide us um, towards improving our actions for food systems here in the Nordics. Right. And for people who are currently working in this community, they probably heard about the Eat Lancet report, which has been talked about quite a bit. But could you explain what that is and what the findings were? Sure. So... This report was one major attempt to synthesize the best available evidence on healthy and sustainable food systems, and then to propose global boundaries for first, what constitutes a healthy diet, and then second, uh, what would constitute sustainable food production. And so then the report uh, modeled different scenarios of food systems in the future to see if we really could have a food system that satisfied both sets of criteria for both healthy diets and sustainable production. And the good news was that it, it does seem at least biophysically possible for us to feed the growing global population, uh, reaching almost 10 billion by 2050, with a healthy and sustainable diet. Uh, but the caveat to that is that we have quite a lot of work to do. So we need to progress uh, actions on, on three fronts. Uh, so that would be shifting our diets towards healthier diets and then increasing the sustainability of our production practices and at least having food loss and waste. And if we fail to make these major shifts, then we could also fall short of some of these big global commitments like reaching the Sustainable Development Goals or the Paris Climate Agreement. Right. And what are the kind of actions we need to be taking in, in those three areas? So we outlined actually five action areas at the end of the report where globally we need to ramp up action if we are to achieve these uh, food, these uh, food system goals. So the first is shifting to healthier diets. And when we say healthier diets, 
Uh, this generally, it, well, it's different in, in different regions around the world, but I'll speak to perhaps what we would need to do in a region like the Nordics. So that would be things like reducing foods from animal sources and moving towards more plant-based proteins, and then also reducing our sugar intakes, uh, saturated fats, and really focus on increasing those, those healthier foods. The second action was shifting our agricultural priorities from just thinking about producing more and more and more to producing the inputs of healthy diets and doing that in a sustainable way. Uh, the third area of action was sustainably intensifying production. So making sure that we do have enough high quality foods to feed everyone, but making sure we're also producing those sustainably at the same time. The fourth action was governing our land and oceans in a strong and coordinated way to make sure that we, that we can sustainably uh, produce food from, from our land and oceans. And the last action area was at least having food loss and waste in line with the sustainable development goals. Yeah. I'm wondering in order to arrive at these different points, what kind of research did you guys do? Can you give any examples of what was required, as well as maybe some research that we're still missing? So in for the Eat Lancet report, uh, we had scientists from quite a range of disciplines. So of course, we did have the nutrition scientists um, and health experts that were working on constructing this healthy diet. So they were doing a lot of synthesis of existing literature and meta-analyses and lots of different kinds of evidence to see uh, what the global evidence said about healthy, healthy diets. Um, then, of course, we had a lot of researchers focusing on agriculture or environmental science or environmental impact analysis and, and really trying to figure out what is it we need to to change about our production practices? Um, and we do know a lot about some of these areas. Now, as you mentioned, of course, there there are gaps. Um, but I think the the big message is we know enough to keep on moving ahead. We know enough to take action. So while we might not know the environmental impact of every single production system around the world, we do have enough uh, evidence to to actually move in a more sustainable direction. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the Eatland Set Report is one of the first reports that really came out and described and defined what a healthy, sustainable diet is based on scientific evidence. Is that correct? Okay. So I think what the Eat Lancet was able to do um, was, one, when it comes to environmentally friendly production, it was able to look at more environmental indicators than had been done before. Um, and another strength of the Eat Lancet was putting together both the health and sustainability targets into a scientific model to test future food scenarios. Um, so I think this was going beyond what previous research had done, but then, of course, acknowledging that there have been a lot of uh, attempts to either suggest what a healthy diet might be 
or to quantify an environmental impact of, of food production. So we just tried to bring it all together and then to add as much as we could uh, to make that one of the most holistic um, analyses available. Yeah, and when it comes to implementing the findings, is it more based on the consumer looking at their plate and choosing which foods they should put on it? Or is the actions that need to be taken more coming from a policy perspective and a, a more societal level of changing the infrastructure for how we produce food? Well, one of the main messages of the Eat Lancet is that everyone will have a role in this food system transformation. We can't rely on just government stepping up, on just businesses changing, or on consumers taking this on their own to change. We need everyone um, to do their part. So from a consumer perspective, of course, you can have sort of vote three times more or less a day on, on what you put on your plate. And in general, we know what food groups are, are healthier, more sustainable, and which ones are not. But we can't expect individuals to change and to have the perfect information needed to achieve a healthy and sustainable diet. So we do need change at the societal, at the systemic level to make the healthy and sustainable option the easiest option. So um, particularly in the Nordic work, we, we do see that a lot of businesses are excited about changing and helping to shift consumer demand and making that easier for their consumers. We do work with a lot of policymakers who have the power to, to shape the food environment to make it easier for an individual to choose those types of foods. So we, um, we can't get stuck in this thinking that it does responsibility does belong to just an individual or just a government or it's just on the supply side or just on the demand side. Um, the uh, we really need to all be doing our part and working together. Absolutely. And you said that a lot of your work involves coordinating all these different stakeholders and kind of being a platform for them to come together and talk and connect. How are you working with these different actors? Can you give some examples of what that looks like? Sure. So just this fall, I've been going out and hosting multi-stakeholder dialogues across the Nordic countries. Um, Are those so the what, food system dialogues? Yes. Well, these, well, I think there are a lot of food system dialogues mm -hmm. going on um, from different organizations. Um, but what we are doing is we're bringing people together, again, from across the food system. So we have policymakers, businesses, producer associations, youth organizations, funders, um, anyone who is involved with uh, food systems, we're bringing them together and really looking into specific issues or challenges within the current food system. And we're having this open dialogue so that these stakeholders can hear and talk about different perspectives. So we have um, the opportunity to say, well, if we make this change, what might we gain? What would the opportunity be? But then also, we want to get all of the bad things on the table as well. So we also have this space to talk about, well, what might the trade-offs be? What might we lose? Um, we also have a space to talk about 
what are the uncertainties? So anytime you change something like the food system, which is such a big part of society, of course we can't have all of the answers and know exactly what's going to happen. So we've tried to create a space in these food system dialogues for lots of different perspectives to come together and to really uh, express what they think these changes might look like so that we can better inform what actions we need to take. Is there any example in particular of, I mean, how you've managed a group of people like this and how you've um, been able to clarify or bring people onto the same page about what actions need to be taken, where maybe they had diverse thoughts? Well, I think we always try to start with a presentation of what the science says. Um, so, for example, in, so, in our dialogues, we have been talking uh, about one issue in particular, which would be a reduction of red meat consumption. So we present what the science might say about um, for example, the health impact of our level of meat consumption in the Nordics or environmental impacts. Uh, but then we recognize that that topic is, is much more complex than just the health impacts and environmental impacts. So then we really encourage people uh, by splitting up into, into smaller manageable groups um, to, to go through uh, these other impacts, for example, what will it do to producers or what will it do to our trade? Um, and I think by having these small groups and face-to-face -face discussions, um, we you don't necessarily need to get on the same page or agree about everything, um, but it does help you understand and, and be able to go forward in a constructive dialogue. Yeah, I see. The reason I ask mainly is that it's really interesting to hear your methodology because on this show we ask everybody the same series of questions and the number one thing that we hear people wanting to see happen is really more room for collaboration and people to coming together and having these dialogues so it's really interesting to hear how how you guys are actually doing that and bringing together these diverse views I think people have really been enthusiastic to join and um, we've we've been overwhelmed by um, uh, by people wanting to give their time and energy to these dialogues. I think this shows that people are ready to change. They're open to change, but there are a lot of uncertainties. And I think when we talk them out, um, you know, some of these fears or um, or biases could could be cleared away. So I think it's uh, it's been, at least in our experience, um, we've been very welcomed in, in all of the countries. That's great to hear. So I'd like to start then asking that series of questions. The first one is, what is your vision for the future food system in 10 to 15 years? Well, I have a lot of visions <laughs> for thing. the food system in 10 to 15 years, so a few things come to mind. Uh, but first, and I, I mentioned this briefly before, but I would really love to see where the healthy and sustainable choice is the easiest, it's the cheapest, it's the most attractive option. So this means that a consumer and an individual doesn't have to spend the time you know, researching what they should be buying or reading labels and so on. 
the products are the healthy and sustainable products are there and it's it's easy so as i also mentioned this means there's quite a lot of work to be done by for example governments and businesses in particular to make sure that these food environments promote promote the best food options um, but second i would hope that there would be so many case studies from businesses showing that they can still profit by selling healthy and sustainable food, um, that it could almost be seen as bad business to be selling unsustainable and unhealthy portfolios of food. So I hope this really becomes a common practice and almost something that doesn't, doesn't even need to be argued about in the future. Um, and, and third, I think I really hope we can move past this polarization that we're seeing right now um, with what can and can't be a healthy and sustainable diet. So in 10 to 15 years, I hope we have no more debate that you have to be a vegan or you have to be a vegetarian or you have to be a pescatarian or so forth. Um, but I hope that we have so many different examples um, of the diversity of diets that can all benefit your health and the health of the planet, um, that that people don't have to put you in a specific camp to be seen as eating in a healthy and sustainable way. Yeah. And that I think that's very important when we talk about the healthy, sustainable diet is that there is not one size that fits all, and it's going to be adapted differently to each local re region and then to each individual and their preferences. Um, but that's also one of the things you mentioned is just the amount of different parameters that go into making these choices and knowing what is the healthy, sustainable choice and how for many individuals that's very overwhelming and they don't really know where to begin or how to judge if they're making the right choice. Um, so I think that's... It. I was going to ask you the follow-up question of what do we do to know what is healthy and sustainable? And you did a good job answering that already. Yes. Well, and also I think uh, I'm, I'm not sure that consumers in the near, near future will ever have the perfect information they need. But for example, we know that when or where and how a food is produced will generally have less of an impact um, or, or will make less of an environmental impact than the actual food food groups that you're choosing to eat. So I think people get very hung up on, should I eat an apple from here or an orange from there? Or uh, they, they get stressed that they don't know exactly what production system something is coming from. Was it large scale or intensive? Or was it organic and small scale? Um, and of course, all these things make a difference. But I think if we if we look at the bigger picture and we know that these animal source foods are generally higher in environmental impact than other plant-based foods, then that's just one quite easy barometer for for people to use as they're going through um, and making and making their choices. Yeah. And when we go back to talking about your vision and what it would take to see that succeed, what are we missing in order to get there? Well, I think we actually need a bit more courage. And I think we need, this applies to everyone. So, for example, businesses could have a bit more courage to change their business models. Some are, but 
they're sort of these front runners. Um, we need courage from governments to step up and really support food system change and even courage from consumers or perhaps especially from consumers to maybe try a new dish, for example. Um, so I think we are seeing the front runners emerge. We are seeing people who are um, stepping out there and trying something different. And this is this is very encouraging, but we need to have a critical mass that then has the courage to to change. Um, so I hope this is coming soon. We see encouraging signs, um, but we're we're not there quite yet. What kind of signs do you see that are encouraging? Well, just in the Nordics, there are so many actions underway in healthy and sustainable food. So, for example, the Nordic prime ministers in their Nordic Solutions to Global Challenges initiative realized that food should perhaps be a focal a solution area. So saying food really is important if we want to achieve these sustainability goals. I think we see, for example, right now, the Nordic Nutrition Recommendations, which is the uh, collaboration across the Nordic countries to develop uh, nutrient recommendations that then each country bases their dietary guidelines on. So these, this revision currently underway uh, will include sustainability to a greater extent. And this is fantastic uh, because if it's more deeply embedded into this um, Nordic-wide recommendation, then it will filter down to the dietary recommendations of, of all the different Nordic countries. Um, we see businesses coming to us and, and saying, we really want to make sure we can provide this planetary health diet what can we do? We are already putting um, financial and human resources into figuring this out. Um, so those things are very encouraging. And then recently, for example, with the um, we saw the the cities, um, for example, Copenhagen and Stockholm signing up to to the pact to only provide healthy and sustainable food in their, in their public meals. So we are seeing signs um, from across sectors, from across levels of society, um, that things, things are changing. Thing. So also right now we have the UN climate negotiations happening at COP25, and then there's a satellite event happening in Stockholm that you'll also be speaking at and participating in. So another question we're asking everybody in this series is what your wish list is for change from policymakers. Mm. Well, I'm I really like this question because I often get asked what would be my one ask of a policymaker and um I can never quite sum it up in just one ask. So I'm glad you're giving me the freedom to make a whole list. You are welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could go on for a long time in many different directions. So it's more to get the conversation going than anything else. Exactly. I'll try to narrow it down to the top of my list. Um, so, so one thing would just really be committing to putting healthy and sustainable food systems at the top of the agenda. Of course, there are other important issues that need to be on the top of government's agendas, 
but we've we've quite clearly seen that without fixing our food systems, uh, we won't be able to deliver on some of our uh, health and sustainability goals. So they are important, and they deserve this important place at the top of the the agenda. Uh, a second thing would be to set up a structure inside government so they could achieve integrated policymaking. And, and this would mean that different portfolios across the government have some way to collaborate with each other and to make sure that, for example, a policy made by the environmental ministry isn't undermining a policy made in the food and agricultural ministry. So this integration is, is quite key within government. I think another thing would be to really start financing solutions, financing uh, research into these solutions and, and, and giving that the go. And another, another thing would be setting clear food system targets so that everyone in society is aiming towards the same targets. So as much as scientists are, would love to propose these food system targets, and indeed we have, um, we don't necessarily have the authority to set those targets um, business doesn't necessarily have the authority to set targets for all of society. So it's really those governments who can set uh, step up and and set a clear direction for for where we want to go. So that would be my my short wish list. Makes sense. So the other beautiful thing that we're able to do on this show is make a call out to the crowd and basically use the knowledge of the crowd to see if we can solve problems that may be standing in your way. So the next question is, what collaborations are you looking for or obstacles that you need to solve that you could use help on and you want to ask the crowd for help on? Well, I think when we do talk about food system change, collaboration is the name of the game because food systems are just so complex that no one group can solve it all on their own. Um, I, I think... What would be fantastic from my point of view is that there is already so much action going on with food systems. So researchers are busy over here and businesses are busy over there and civil society is busy over there and youth organizations have a lot of great ideas of what they want their future food systems to, to be. Uh, but what we are lacking is some a central convening platform or body to make sure that all of these different um, centers of energy are are actually amplifying rather than duplic duplicating or diffusing each other. So I think it's been great to see so much action um, from different groups, but I think some way to connect everyone up um, together would, would be much needed. And I think we could move further a lot faster. Mm, for sure. And long before in this conversation, you mentioned as well that there are some gaps in the research. Is there anything when it comes to research that we should be aware of that you could be inspiring the next student to look into or somebody else to pick up the next project? Maybe mention a few areas where we really need to be doing more work well, I think there, of course, could be a lot more work done on sort of understanding the current status of food systems, particularly here in the Nordics. Um, for example, some of um, some of the data on particular production systems and the environmental impacts 
are missing or, for example, we could have better food loss and waste data. But I think some of the really exciting areas for me in terms of research are uh, research on what actions actually help push us in a healthier and more sustainable direction. Um, but of course, to to undertake this research, we need someone, whether that be governments or businesses or consumers, uh, that are first willing to take that action. Uh, but I think the the exciting research going forward will be really um, when we are in our trial and error mode of trying to work our way towards healthier and more sustainable food systems, really monitoring and analyzing those actions so that we can refine or change course. Um, another area that would be really exciting to have more research in is the economic costs of change, but also the economic cost of inaction. So, of course, for example, there have been some estimates done on a global scale of, uh, for example, the cost of obesity to society or so forth. And even here in the Nordics, we do have some regional estimates of, for example, the cost of treating unhealthy diets. Um, but these estimates need to be updated and they need to include a wider range of indicators, uh, for example, more of the environmental costs of our current food systems. Um, so I think that type of research is is useful because it's often a very powerful argument um, for businesses and for policymakers of, of why we should change and really showing that business as usual is not an option at all. When it comes to creating change through business or through policy tools and then helping people to change their preferences and how they do things. Have we discovered anything so far through the research that's exciting and worth mentioning? Well, I think what we know about changing people's preferences and behaviors is that this can be tricky, but it can be achieved. So sustained change is often successful when you're able to change a social norm uh, and with food in particular, uh, we know that price and taste are also really important determinants of, of what we eat. So I think we haven't seen a, a large-scale shift in diets in a healthy and sustainable direction. We've surely seen uh, large-scale shifts over the past decades towards uh, less healthy or unsustainable diets. Um, so, so we know that these major shifts can be achieved, um, but it will likely be a mixture of measures that are going to change our food behaviors, um, ranging from things like changing the price of foods or using marketing and advertising to promote healthier, more sustainable choices. And then, of course, using actual policy and regulation around procurement or formal education or food environments. So I think we don't know what this exact mix would be, but I think we do know that we have to take a holistic and a multifaceted approach um, uh, using all tools available to to really achieve these social norm shifts. Yeah, thank you for that explanation. Um, in the same vein, is there anything you'd like to mention that I forgot to ask you about or you you think we should talk about that we haven't addressed so far? Mm, well, I, I was thinking about this question. Um, what is a question that 
that I should be asking you. And I guess we've we've touched on this a little bit, um, but I when when we talk about food systems, there is often a lot of uh, negativity around this in terms of people disagreeing what the what the real challenges are, or people being resistant to change, or people thinking that the challenges are too big that we we can't achieve them. So I guess on a on a more positive note, sometimes I I also get asked, um, what is the most encouraging thing? I've seen since since I've gotten into this field, um, and just a quick anecdote is is uh, three years ago when we started talking with policymakers, we we actually ran into quite a few who denied that food had anything to do with achieving the SDGs, being the Sustainable Development Goals, and so that was really a, a barrier to to getting any further. And today, when we're uh, talking with policymakers, uh, we see governments really acknowledging that change is coming, and in fact, change is here right now. So even if we don't know exactly how to navigate that change, uh, there is this a- acknowledgement that it's there. So this may seem like a painfully slow process to be uh, a shift in perspective over three years, but we really see this as a seismic shift in thinking and and an acknowledgement that was very important for us to move ahead. So it was almost like releasing a bottleneck and now we can just get on with changing in the best way possible. So it's made a lot of these dialogues with stakeholders and so forth um, more productive, knowing that this the message will be received from policymakers. So I think that shift in thinking and that shift in acknowledgement has has been one of the most encouraging areas that I've seen. Fantastic. That's a that's a good note to end on. A good anecdote to end. And talk. My last question is: How should someone get in contact with you guys if they want to follow up on any of the things that you've talked about today? So one way is to head to the Stockholm Resilience website where we do post a lot of our research and updates, um, particularly related to to food and our work there. Um, and you can always email me at amanda.wood at su.se or you can follow me on Twitter with the handle uh, at amandawoodr. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic Food Tech ecosystem together. See you next time.